This is Pyronice Podcast number 74. And today we're talking about the aerodynamics of corrugated flapping wings. So wavy wings along the entire cord and they're flapping. And this is inspired from dragonfly wings, which I've covered in a few other podcasts. And to look into this, we're going to be looking at a paper called Numerical Investigation on the Aerodynamic Efficiency of Bio-Inspired Corrugated and Canvered Airfoils in Ground Effect. And this is open access. You can find it in the link in the description, like, like normal. And I've also noticed that in the last few podcasts, I've been going over a lot, like I've just been getting longer and longer. And now they're at like the average about 30, 35 minutes. So I'm trying another tactic where I have a timer right next to me and it's 20 minutes. So when it goes off, I'll stop the podcast and I'll continue the podcast in the next episode. Otherwise, I can just see this getting longer and longer because I can't help myself. Uh, before you know it, probably about an hour. So I'm going to try to stick to 20-minute intervals. If you like them longer, let me know, and I'll then um, do that instead. But from what I can tell, people like them about 20 minutes. So let's get on with this podcast. So they say, one of the advantages of dragonfly flight is that it flies close to the surface of the water to lay eggs or hunt other insects. They may flap their wings up and down as well as rotate them back and forth on an axis. Dragonflies may move straight up or down, fly backwards or stop and hover. And dragonfly wings are probably the most amazing flyers, in my opinion. And the reason why is because for an insect, they're incredibly good at flying. They fly faster than pretty much anything else. They are far more agile and they can reach speeds of like, like maybe 55 Ks an hour, 60 Ks an hour, 35 miles per hour, which is massive. Like that's what birds can't, a lot of birds can't even fly at that. So they're very amazing for how small they are and they're incredibly good at flying. That's why they're so interesting in terms of aerodynamics i've done quite a few podcasts on them so their wings possess a corrugated cross section with a camber this corrugated pattern is critical in the ultralight weight construction of the wing structure which with great aerodynamic performance so the wings corrugation structure has been widely researched and they found that the configuration changes when the spanwise and cordwise directions change so it's not just a typical camber like just it's not just a corrugation that's along the entire wing as you go further away from the wing root or from the leading edge to the trailing edge, the, the corrugation actually changes. So they say that aside from the weight issue, this corrugation enhances flight performance in various ways. For example, including stress absorption against spanwise bending, permitting torsion and creating camber. Aerodynamic force experiments reveal that compared to the smooth surface airfoil and flat plate, the corrugated airfoil could generate greater lift and delay airfoil stall to a significantly higher angle of attack for low Reynolds numbers, uh, about hundred, about 10,000 or 100,000. So I just want to cover this briefly. Why would corrugation allow the airfoil to delay stall at low angles of attack, at uh, low Reynolds numbers, sorry. So the reason why is because if you have corrugation, it means that it's going to be turbulating the flow more. Instead of having a flat surface, you have all these little peaks now. And not only that, you have these bumps, which then the flow has to um, follow and then it's squishing the flow and then expanding it and squishing it. And then that's going to create turbulence as they have all the, all the particles have to move together. And that's going to result in the flow becoming probably more turbulent, probably becoming turbulent in general and not staying lambda. If the flow is turbulent, it means that you can push it to higher angles of attack, try to get more out of the flow and in terms of lift and still keep the flow attached. That's one of the major benefits of corrugation. This is in a, on a stationary wing, by the way, not a dynamic wing, not a, a flapping wing. Then another benefit that I've covered in other podcasts is something called a laminar separation bubble. So the dragonfly wing is quite amazing. I've uncovered this back when I was first doing research. I first started to learn how to do research. Um, 
I was reading this book and they were talking about how lemon suppression bubbles in, in general. If you want to learn more about LSBs, on podcast number 11 called NACA 4412 Laminar Separation Bubble. I cover in detail what it is. I'm just going to go through it quickly here. If you want to learn more, go to podcast number 11. Uh, but an LSB is where you have a laminar flow going over, let's say an airfoil. And then at some point, it's going. the flow is going to detach. It actually detaches from the surface. And it's still laminar at this point. Then it keeps flowing over and then it will reattach. And when it reattaches, it's already turbulent now. So the transition point is somewhere in that detachment zone. What then happens is inside that um, that detachment and retachment line, there's something called a recirculation bubble, a laminar separation bubble. This is a bubble that where the flow just keeps going around and around. And this is potentially good on for certain applications, but bad in other applications. One major um, drawback of an LSB is that it's very unpredictable. So if you change the flow condition slightly, it'll pop. And then you get a massive change in the lift and drag. So you can lose stability. Now, dragonfly wings, the, these LSBs, I should say, they only occur over certain Reynolds number ranges. And this, this book that I was reading when I was first learning about it said that LSBs can only really form when you have Reynolds number between 50,000 and 70,000 or greater. So if you have a Reynolds number below 50,000, there's no way that the LSB is going to attach again. And um, that me and also you may not even get one because the conditions aren't right. Now, the funny thing is dragon, they cover dragonflies in this book. They said that um, dragonflies are unfortunate in that they fly in this range. They fly at around 50,000 to 70,000 Reynolds numbers over their wings with their wings being the characteristic length they caught. And that means that they are going to be experiencing LSBs and potentially their entire wing will be just one entire lamination bubble. So that's problematic for them trying to maneuver and be agile because they can lose, as I mentioned, lose lift and drag and increase drag very suddenly. So to get around that, they have this corrugation, this like crinkle pattern, kind of like a, a potato chip crinkle cup. And um, this increases the turbulence of the flow in the flow, which then makes the uh, boundary layer instead of separating and then reattaching and having this transition point in that separation reattachment point, it actually just transitions straight away and you bypass the LSB. So that's one of the major benefits of this crinkle of this <laughs> of this corrugation pattern. I'm still thinking about potato chips, crinkle cup. Anyway, let's move on. And as I mentioned, actually podcast number eleven, I cover this in detail. So let's move on now. So one of the interesting phenomena of flight that has attracted remarkable attention is the ground effect on the aerodynamics of flapping wings. It has been demonstrated that the flying in the ground effect provides notable advantages in thrust and efficiency. So I've also covered ground effect in podcast number 14 and podcast number nine. So number 14 is ground effect of fruit flies and nine is aerodynamic ground effect explained. If you want to know more about that, go into those podcasts. I'll just briefly describe it a bit later in this one as well. So in environments that are so crowded and full of obstacles, these MAVs, so effectively insect size man-made or human-made vehicles will inevitably fly near a substrate experiencing a wall effect so the ground effect effectively a similar scenario in the daily flight of small birds and tiny insects which use flapping wings as their source of lift is a flight in bushes full of leaves and branches these situations will also project a ground effect onto the dynamic onto the aerodynamics of flapping wings Determining the ground impact of the aerodynamics of flapping wings is necessary for understanding the behavior of near ground flight in insects and developing flapping MAVs. So 
explaining the ground effect just briefly here. The ground effect, the ground impact of the enhanced lift and drag and reduced drag production of by an airfoil or other flying object when the lift generated surface is one wingspan or less above the ground or water surface. The blockage of the wingtip vortex by the wall there caused by the ground is one of two mechanisms accountable for this particular phenomenon. A wingtip vortex is also known as a lift-induced vortex since it alters the, the airflow around a wing and reduces the efficiency of lift production. This blockage considerably reduces drag and raises lift, similar to increasing the effects of the angle of attack. So what that means is when you have a regular wing and it's flying around very far away from the ground, the, the high pressure underneath the wing will bleed over to the low pressure on top and that will be around the wingtip at the end of the wing. And that creates a vortex. But when you're very close to the ground, this can't really happen as well because the ground is kind of blocking this motion a little bit. It's squeezing the flow. And that means that um, the wing is actually being a little more efficient. Generally speaking, a general rule of thumb is about 10 to 20% more efficient uh, in the ground effect, but it depends on the wing and how far away you are from the ground. So let's move on to the second effect. Second reason why ground effect occurs. Flying nearby the ground, in addition to blocking vortex expansion, raises pressure on the lower surface of the wing. And the ground, since air is packed between the air, between the airfoil and the ground, this is known as the ram or cushion impact. The research has primarily focused on fixed wings for this, and few investigations have been published on flapping wings associated with ground effect. So a couple uh, researchers, or a few researchers, they comprehensively reviewed the aerodynamic properties of a NACA 4412 airfoil at various angles of attack from 0 degrees to 10 degrees, and the ground clearance of the trailing edge from 5% of the cord to 100% of the cord, which resulted in a Reynolds number of um, 100, oh, sorry, 300,000. Their results indicated that the drag coefficient was higher near the ground for all angles of attack, mainly owing to the low surface pressure distribution. The findings demonstrated that at the minimum ground clearance, a strong suction impact at the lower surface of at the angle tag of zero degrees made laminar separation considerably ahead of the trailing edge. So importantly for all angles of attack, a reduction of the upper surf surface suction was detected at, as the airfoil reached the ground. So as a result, the lift reduced with decreasing ground clearance for angles of attack up to four degrees, but above four degrees, the lift increased and this was due to the higher pressure on the lower surface so that means that the ground effect is not really um, consistent like there are some there are some um, conditions where it is really good other conditions where it is detrimental to the aircraft performance or the airfoil performance so the drag was higher near the ground for all angles of attack examined mostly because of the lower surface pressure distribution modification so some other researchers designed a NACA 4412 airfoil landing process with a pitch angle of four degrees and a flight path angle of four degrees utilizing a finite volume technique. So that's just the um, computer simulation technique. They found that the lift in the dynamic ground effect was greater than the static ground effect. They also explained the phenomenon of lift amplifications in the dynamic ground effect. So what this means is in the static ground effect, when you're just flying around with your airfoil at a, the same height from the ground continuously, that's the static ground effect and they have a certain um, set of conditions, certain set of effects, in, namely below a certain angle of attack, that low angle of attack, you get a reduced lift and a high drag. But if you go above the angle of attack, you get a higher lift and so the drag is a bit higher. But if you have your airplane or your airfoil approaching the ground and the distance between the ground and the airfoil gradually reduces, it becomes a dynamic situation and this changes the um, 
the benefits of the ground effect. So that is how dynamic um, a dynamic system can change the effects. And that's pertinent to this podcast and this study because flapping wings are kind of dynamic when you think about it. The distance that they are from the ground changes. So there's just one thing that I want to mention here, which is not exactly to do with the corrugated wings directly, but it's to do with more of the CFD. So they call something, they say the immersed boundary lattice Boltzmann method. And I wanted to talk about this is because it's a really cool um, CFD application. So this is two things. First of all, immersed boundary. Second is lattice Boltzmann method. Let's cover the first one first, immersed boundary. So this is short for immersed boundary method. And what this means is when you have your CFD and let's say you have something moving in it. So whether that's you want to have two objects that are that are changing the distance between each other with time. With the regular CFD, you can't really do that because the mesh, which is the um, way that you uh, approximate your domain, for those of you who haven't done CFD, uh, that is fixed. So you, you mesh your objects and the domain, and that's fixed with your simulation. But with the immersed boundary method, it's really cool because you can actually move these objects. So the mesh is now kind of dynamic. And the lattice Boltzmann method is a different way of doing CFD. So the traditional way of doing CFD, whether you're doing it with ANSYS, CFX, or Fluent, or you're using Star CCM Plus or OpenFoam, or any of the other ones out there, I think like Autodesk, and they have their own versions. They're all finite volume methods. What that means is they're using something called the Navier-Stokes equations to um, determine what happens, what's happening in the flow. They're they segregate the flow in cells in like these little volumes and they're looking at each volume individually. The lattice Boltzmann method, this is different. This um, came about quite a long time ago, but it hasn't really been popular since about, it's only really come into play about 10 years ago. That's when a lot of, a big push started to happen for it. Uh, one of the main producers of the lattice Boltzmann software is called uh, PowerFlow. And this method is different to the finite volume method. This is a discrete method. So in other words, we're looking at, we're approximating the flow as the particles instead of volumes. So this means that they're governed by, we use different equations to um, determine the flow physics. And we effectively track the particles and see what the particles are doing by themselves, not the volumes. Now, the major benefit of the lattice Boltzmann method is that it scales very well with computational power. And this is the main driving force behind it. So with typical um, CFD with uh, finite volume methods, the major problem with it is that um, when we when we try to scale, so that means when we go from, let's say we're running our CFD on 100 cores, on 100 CPUs, let's say, or 100 cores, whatever you want to use, um, whatever terminology you want to use, they might take an hour to, to run. If you then use a thousand cores, it doesn't mean you'll only be able to run it in one tenth of the time, so six minutes. It might be 10 minutes or 15 minutes because there's some inefficiency there when you're trying to divide the work among different cores. And then when you go even higher, it gets even worse. So and then I don't know if this is if this happens, but I'm assuming that you'll get to a point where if you actually increase the number of cores you use, it will get Actually, it will take longer to solve. I haven't ever tried this out. The most causes I've used is 3,000. And I, the reason why I used that many and not more is because that's when I got to the point where uh, the amount of time it took to solve didn't reduce after that, it seemed. So I didn't go any further. I don't know whether 4,000 would have increased the amount of solving time or not, <laughs> but it might. I don't know. If you do know, let me know in the, in the uh, comments below. 
The Lattice-Boltzmann method, on the other hand, instead of using the finite volume method, so the Navier-Stokes equations, the Lattice-Boltzmann method is um, much more efficient. So if you if you increase the number of cores that you use, it scales fairly linearly. I don't know if I don't think it's ex exactly linearly because there's still some um, cores that are required to distribute the workload and that, but it's still much better than finite volumes. So that's one major benefit of the Lattice-Boltzmann method. It's far more linear, which means that you can use more cores and solve your simulation quicker. So moving on, some other researchers, they studied the flapping flying model, relying on the actual behaviors of the birds under ground effect. They determined that flapping close to the ground increases lift force by 47% when decreasing or decreasing drag by 20%. So that's a huge um, increase in the efficiency. Some other researchers evaluated the contribution of the ground effect on the flapping insect wing in forward flight. In order to simulate the motion of the insect wing cross-section, the standard NACA 0012 airfoil with harmonic plunge and pitching rotation was used. The immersed boundary lattice Boltzmann method was employed for numerical simulations with Reynolds numbers of 150. That's really small. That's far lower than any really any MAV that we have or dragonflies. According to the findings, the ground influenced both force behaviors and flow patterns. Whenever the airfoil was put near the ground, there was a significant decrease in drag and an increase in lift comparable compared with the scenario with no ground. Furthermore, the vortex formed by the foil interacted with that caused by the ground. As the frequency of oscillation rose, the vortex interaction became increasingly more. Accordingly, the vortices might be compressed to to oblate shape and propagate obliquely in the wake. So this is a very dense paragraph. Let me explain what happened here. So with a flapping wing, one of the major reasons why the way that a lift way that lift is produced on a flapping wing compared to a static wing is that, or a stationary wing, is that the flapping wing it produces vortices around it. So as you plunge it and pick it up, so you pitch it around. Um, there'll be vortices coming off of all different areas. So for example, the leading edge and the trailing edge. Now these, if done well, you can actually use these vortices to increase the amount of lift that you produce. And insects and birds take advantage of this. They've evolved to be able to exploit this. Humans, on the other hand, we're still learning how to do this well. So what this means is you have vortices around. When you're very close to the ground, these vortices are being squished and squashed and stretched. And that means that they change how... Um, they're only, not only forming, but also breaking down and where they're interacting on the airfoil. And this is going to change the flow physics. Now, my guess is that we don't know because this is still very advanced, but I'm guessing that Mother Nature has um, made these insects and birds evolve to the point where they are even really good in ground effect as well. That they've learned how to utilize these vortices. As I said, we don't know exactly how this happens, but I'm sure it does because the evolution would make it happen. So that means that also if you change the rate at which you're pitching the wing and flapping it, it's going to change where these vortices come off, how strong they are, and whether you can utilize them or not. We'll get into that later, actually in the next podcast, I think. So let's move on. Some other researchers evaluate an asymmetric, asymmetrical heavy motion impact, impact on the aerodynamic efficacy of a flapping NACA 0012 airfoil close to the wall with a 2D numerical simulation. That's the timer that I had. I'm going to go a few more minutes because I just want to finish this a little bit. So these researchers, they found that the, the mean thrust monotonically rose as the foil gradually got closer to the ground. So they had this flapping wing, an ACA 0012, which is a symmetrical, fairly thin airfoil. It's not really thin, but it's 
somewhat thin. It's in the middle of the road, a bit meaty, but not too not too much. And when they were pitching it and flapping it close to the ground, as you got closer to the ground, the amount of thrust that you were generating from the wing increased um, monotonically, which means that it always increased as you got closer. There was no point at which it reduced. The slope was always positive. So simultaneously, the mean lift first increased and then reduced suddenly when they got very close to the ground. When the foil was very close to the wall, the mean lift even turned negative. So I'm guessing there's probably some sort of suction effect with the wall then perhaps. And this reduced, so reducing the time of the upstroke increased the mean thrust coefficient, which means that you're going to be utilizing these vortices a little bit differently in this way because you're reducing the amount of time, which means that the vortices is going to be very close to the wing still, and that's going to change the flow physics. So a couple of researchers numerically investigated the flapping motion of bio airfoils and a NACA 0015 airfoil in ground effect at a reference of 1,100, so a little bit higher. The mean distance from the center of rotation of the airfoil to the ground surface ranged from 1.25 to four times the cord length of the airfoil. The, they determined that the power extraction efficacy of the bio airfoil reduced when the mean distance to the ground increased whereas it just marginally changed for the NACA 0015 airfoils. This shows how, again, Mother Nature's workshop, they've produced these airfoils, which are pretty sweet. NACA 0015s, as good as they are, they can't match um, airfoils that are made through evolution. So the bio airfoil outperformed the NACA 0015 airfoil in the power extraction regime. Only on bio airfoils do the leading-edge vortices increase power extraction efficiency due to the ground assistance. So again, the NACA 0015s, they're not really designed to, to flap. They're not really designed to utilize different vortices coming off the wings to produce lift. The propulsion efficient effectiveness of both airfoils diminished as the distance to the ground increased, with the NACA 0015 airfoil having a higher efficacy than the bio airfoil. Some other researchers investigated the aerodynamic efficiency and vertical flow structure of a delta wing during takeoff and landing stages. So if you don't know what delta wings are, they, they get the name after the Greek letter delta, which is a triangle. And I've covered this in podcast number eight. Delta wings can do what other wings can't. So check that out if you want to know more about the flow physics here. Effectively, you just have a couple vortices on the delta wing and this changes the flow physics and it makes them really cool in terms of how they produce lift. So talking about how delta wings um, perform in takeoff and landing stages, because of the incomplete development of vortices, the ground reduced the size of the peak values of main and secondary vortices. The ground effect induced the leading edge vortex to travel outbound in a spanwise direction, increasing the size of the vortices. Moreover, the ground caused a drop in the strewn number because vortex generation was slowed. So the strewn number is effectively how quickly vortices are being shed from the airfoil in this case. And this dropped because of um, the ground effect. So the delta wings lift and drag coefficients increased as it descended from the outbound from the unbound flight region towards the ground effect region. Eventually, it was determined that it rose by reducing the distance between the ground and the wing and that the rise was significantly more effective at longer's attack. So in other words, even delta wings can benefit from the ground effect a little bit, but I'm guessing not nearly as much as bio airfoils or flapping bio airfoils. As seen, most studies on flapping motion considered the ground effect phenomenon Considering the ground effect phenomenon have been on symmetrical airfoils such as NACA 0012s and NACA 0015s and elliptical airfoils. Although all these airfoils are known in the industry, bio-inspired ones, e.g. the Dragonfly airfoil, have been shown to have excellent aerodynamic performance compared to those of conventional 
on of convention in the vicinity of the ground. Therefore, one of the key factors in flapping airfoils and the ground effect process is the airfoil shape. As a result, choosing a proper airfoil is a crucial task in the design stage. In addition, it has already been proven that the well-known cambered NACA 4412 airfoil prevents the negative ground effect due to the nearly flat bottom surface that happens with extreme camber or when venturi flow is formed beneath the airfoil. So by having a un, like a, a rounded bottom, like a rounded uh, pressure surface, the lower surface, you're going to create a venturi effect, which means that at the leading edge, the cross-sectional area with which is bound by the wall the ground is greater than at the at 25 percent cord downstream so that means that there's the flow has to accelerate to get underneath the airfoil and then out through the um, trailing edge side so that means that if the velocity increases the pressure will drop that means you're going to reduce the lift that you're produce, producing which is why we found um above at higher angles of attack there was greater lift, whereas at low angles of attack, there was lower lift for NACA 0012s. But NACA 0412s, 4412s, they uh, circumvent this problem by having a flat bottom. And that means that this airfoil close to the ground has good aerodynamic performance due to its geometric shape. However, in previous studies, the flapping motion of the 4412 airfoil near the ground has not been investigated. And to the best of these um, authors' knowledge, the aerodynamic performance of Dragonfly and NACA 4412 airfoils with flapping motion considering the ground effect has never been compared before in any scientific work. Further, the Dragonflies and MAVs usually fire, fly at Reynolds numbers between uh, 1,000 and 100,000. However, most previous studies have focused on very low Reynolds numbers and laminar flows, and this is not the regime that Dragonflies fly in or usually MAVs. So, overall, this present study compared to the impact of the ground effect on the flapping dry. This sorry, this present study compares the impact of the ground effect on the flapping dragonfly and NACA 4412 airfoils, and they did some simulations at Reynolds numbers, Reynolds numbers of 5,000 and 50,000, using 2D unsteady Reynolds average Navier-Stokes, which is URANS. We'll get into that in the next podcast. The turbulence model was implemented using the transition SST model. So that's where I'm going to end this podcast deal. In the next podcast, we're going to pick up and talk about not only the CFD setup, but some of the results. So make sure to like, subscribe, and tell me if you like this idea of me trying to cut it short at 20 minutes. I know we've been even longer now. It's probably 27 minutes. Uh, I can't help myself. Uh, I'm trying. Anyway, and if you want to get better at CFD as well, we do courses on CFD. We also do courses on theory. Links in the description. And I'll see you, see you next podcast. Peace out, amigos. Peace out, amigos.